Well, as promised, we're going to jump back into our study of the book of Proverbs today, talking about two subjects that no teenager ever thinks about or cares about, money and discipline. Uh, you know, you, you, you really don't have to do a whole lot of uh, investigative work to discover that the book of Proverbs is a book really designed for young people, for teenagers, and their parents who are trying to train them and help them uh, to grow in the things of the Lord. And so uh, we talked last time uh, about money, and so we're going to turn our attention today and uh, look at discipline. And uh, if you haven't already done so, you can turn in Proverbs uh, uh, <clears throat> to Proverbs chapter 3, where we'll resume our study today. Um, let, me, let me ask you, uh, th- I was thinking about this um, this question, because uh, today we're going to talk mostly about the Lord's discipline, and elsewhere in the book of Proverbs we'll talk about parental discipline of children, although they both kind of mirror each other in, in the sense that one is the model for the other. But, but let, me, let me ask you a theological question, I, and I want you to think about it, and maybe an answer pops into your head, and slip your hand up if, if you can, but we'll, we can also just let it simmer for a little while as we jump into the text. If, if God were disciplining you, how would you know it? Isn't that a great question? How would you know if God was disciplining you? And um, just, think, just think about that for a little bit, okay? And, and I hope that in our time this morning we will see the answer to that, okay? And, and part of that comes, maybe it's just because of the counseling uh, that I do and others do here, but wh- one of the things that I hear a lot from Christian people when something bad happens in their life is one of their conclusions is God must be punishing me for something. Have you, you ever heard somebody like that? Or maybe you felt like that sometimes. And, and you know, that, that's not a bad question to ask. I mean, that, that's actually a really important question to ask. How would we know that God is disciplining us for something? And um, I, I think the answer to that leads largely to how we respond to that and how we think about uh, how God works and interacts with us uh, in our life. Okay, so we're looking at Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, let me read the section that uh, we're looking at today, and then we'll, uh, we'll tear it apart uh, together. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. Okay, there's our section, just a couple of verses and yet we have a lot to talk about with these two. I'm going to review a little bit from last time, and then we'll pick it up in your notes here in just a moment, okay? So uh, the, the, the second, or I guess the main point of these sections here, these two verses, uh, for young people, and, and really for all of us, this works for the old people in the room too, that's the rest of us, right? Uh, is to embrace God's training, to embrace God's discipline. And that, that's the main point that Solomon is trying to, to relate here to his children. Now, we can stop and kind of take a step back and recognize uh, what this means is that children need training in order to become what God wants them to be. And uh, guys, we talked about this uh, last time with sports, didn't we? If you're a part of a soccer team or basketball or football team, cross country team, baseball, you know, whatever you play, you, you don't walk onto the field and the coach says, okay, the game is Saturday at three o'clock, see you then. Uh, no, you're, you're going to work your tail off that week, aren't you? 
and uh, you know some certain seasons you're doing two a day and three days and and intensive training and uh, and and what happens what happens when you do something wrong you get punished okay and is that because the coach hates you some people think yeah my coach hates me no but why do they do that to make you better okay and we see that in the sports world that when you do something wrong and you need correction a good coach will correct you and if you don't make the correction he will make your life miserable for a little while to reinforce the correction so that you put that you're you're more interested in putting that into practice uh, sooner rather than later and, and, you know, that's true in sports. It's true in life. I mean, uh, the businessmen in the room would say, you know, you have annual reviews and the boss sits down with you and they say, okay, you're doing great over here. Here's some areas uh, for correction. And sometimes you might get a bonus or you may not get a bonus related to your performance there. Um, it, it's true in most realms of life. We need correction in order to grow and change and be better at what we do. And what God is saying through his word here is that as, as people, we need God's correction in our life. We need his training. And if we don't have that training, we will not become all that God wants us to become. Now, now the focus right here is on children, but guess what? Old people need this too, don't we? And uh, we'll see as we cross-reference with Hebrews chapter 12 this morning, we'll see that this is not a, uh, a facet unique to children. This is true for all of us. We, we all need God's fatherly training and correction in our life. And, and uh, that relates even back to the question that I asked you here. So we'll, we'll come to that in a moment. Number two, by way of review now, children are prone to two wrong responses when God attempts to train them. H- have you noticed this, parents? When you try to correct your children... They do not always respond like this. Oh, thank you, Daddy, for this correction. I did not see the error of my ways prior to your wise instruction. Thank you for this spanking. I need it to remind me to do better next time. Have you noticed that, parents, that children don't often respond like that? Have you noticed this? And, and actually, when God attempts to discipline us, we don't always respond the same way either. We don't say, Lord, thank you for what you're teaching me in this affliction. We don't say, Lord, thank you that I don't always get my way and thus be a more selfish person than I am right now. We don't respond like that. It's it's not intuitive. And, And that's why what Solomon is teaching us here is so perspective. We need to learn to see the corrective hand of God behind everything that happens in our life. And, and, that, and that's part of what I want to I hint at in terms of the question I asked you at the beginning. If God was disciplining you, how would you know it? And yet the perspective that the Bible reveals is not that there's just these acute, sort of event-oriented, uh, corrective measures that God brings into our life. Certain times when we really get out of line, although that's true, God's training hand is in everything of life. And it's not always disciplinary, it's not always corrective, but it is always designed to train us. So learn to see in the all things of life that God is training us and working in the midst of those circumstances. Now now notice that uh, children are prone to these two wrong responses 
And uh, we, we can say that sometimes we old people have the same problem as well, don't we? Uh, the two ones are rejecting God's training or dreading God's training, becoming weary of it. And, and again, uh, uh, young person, this, this is important because God is going to do things in your life for your benefit. He's going to do things because he loves you. But like that coach who makes you run one more lap or do 20 more push-ups or you know, sit with your tail against the wall for a certain duration or leg lifts or whatever the punishment is, you know, it's not going to feel wonderful. And in fact, in the pain and the affliction of life, there are things that God does in the pain and the affliction of life that cause us to grow in ways, listen, that we otherwise could not grow in, apart from that affliction. And again, I'll, I'll prove all this to you as we open up the book of Hebrews uh, later on. But, but uh, teenagers, do not, do not get into these ruts that the Bible is warning us about, where you just outright reject what God is trying to do in your life, or you become weary. Oh, things never go my way. Things never go smoothly. And what's the point? It's useless. Don't get into that, that attitude, that rut. That's what the Lord is saying here, is that these responses of rejection and loathing, um, re- rejecting and, and becoming weary, and again, for us old people, um, that's very important too, because we can get in the mode of doing that. What's the point? What's, what's the point of trying anymore? You know, it just feels like, you remember, um, Jeremiah talks about this, the, the prophet of God, Jeremiah, in Lamentations chapter 3. You remember where he talks about this? He says, he says, it seems like, this is what my life seems like. Jeremiah the prophet says this, it seems like I am the target and God is the archer, and he's shooting his arrows at me constantly. Do you remember that? Do you ever feel like that? That, that this, is, this is just some game that God is out with target practice, and you are the recipient of God's arrows? And, and that, that's the danger of this response. Don't get to the place where you say, it's just not worth it anymore. I, no matter what I do, God doesn't like it. And, and that's why all these afflictions keep coming into my life. No, those are the wrong responses. And we'll see that when we react like that, we're misunderstanding what God is actually trying to do. I've told the story before, and and some of you have heard this already, but uh, when our children uh, were little and we would take them to the pediatrician, and and, and, uh, maybe Dr. Steinman can affirm this here, but um, do you guys understand how a pediatrician's office works? There's the nice pediatrician who comes in or she comes in with a smile on their face and, and they, you know, oh, how's it going and great and they have nice conversation and they never do anything horrible. But there are these, these wicked, you know, agents of pain called pediatric nurses. Did you use your nurses like this too? And they're the ones that come in with the, with the six inch needles. You know, and they come in and, and it's like, okay, let's find some flesh on this child's body to afflict pain, right? And, and, and that, that's how it works. And, and I remember when our kids were younger, uh, our, our, this one uh, dear lady that, that is, uh, was our nurse, and, um, you know, the, the doctor comes in, everything's great, hey, how's it going? You know, hey, hey, doctor. And, and then the nurse comes in, dun, 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 you know, and, you know the lights dim and the, the bad music comes up and... and um, but I can remember when our children were little and, you know, you know, they're not able to communicate and you're not able to, you know, explain to them, you know, how the whole, um, the shot thing works, that you're getting an antibiotic that kills the infection in your body that makes you sick or, or maybe, maybe it's a, um, 
some sort of immunization. And, and you know, you, you know, when they're three, you can't explain immunization uh, theory, right? You just can't, you know, understand. I'm going to give you a little bit of the of the of the virus or the bacteria that's going to create immunity, and then okay, you can't explain that. All they know is, Daddy, this hurts. And I remember one of our kids one time saying something like, as the needle is going in, I thought you loved me. Right? You remember that? And what do you do with that? You know, you, you can't explain what this is actually doing. All you can do is say, you know what? Daddy does love you, and this is good for you. This is good for you, even though it hurts. This is going to bring something very, very beneficial that could potentially save your life, even though it's going to sting for a few minutes right here. And, and that, that's always stuck with me anytime I read about God's discipline, because that's exactly what we do. Don't you love me? As the needle goes in. And we forget that that, that affliction that God is bringing is the very thing that saves our life. Spiritually speaking, it's the very thing that trains us into godliness or helps us to avoid uh, unnecessary temptation. So we need to be careful how we respond to the discipline of the Lord. Now, the word reproof here can mean punishment. It can mean to criticize. It can mean to reprimand. Um, but, but the point is to see that what verse 11 is talking about is training that is corrective in nature. And we'll talk about this in a moment. Um, God's discipline of his children is always a rescue operation. It's corrective and restorative, not just punitive. And that's very important that we see that. As, as children who are in God's family, adopted into his family, when God brings affliction or punishment into our life, it is not just punitive. He's not just saying, you did the crime, now you do the time. That, that's not his attitude. His attitude is, there's a training that I want to come from this. There's some correction and some restoration, ultimately, for our spiritual good and for his glory. Okay, now, this gets back to your notes. So starting in your notes now, what does discipline mean? It means training. It's the Hebrew word musar. And we'll see it translated all throughout Proverbs as we'll see it sometimes translated instruction. We'll see it sometimes translated correction. We'll see sometimes it's translated warning. Most often it's just translated discipline. But it means training. And that is what God is up to in our life. Now, we noted this uh, just by way of review last time. How does God correct his people? And this goes back to my question. How would you know that God is disciplining you? Okay. Well, we'll think that these are ways that the Bible tells us that God trains his people. Uh, number one, logical consequences. Second Thessalonians 3.10 says, If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Now you say, well, that's just... That just kind of happens, right? If you, if you don't go out and work and make money or you don't go out and, and, and plant your seed and harvest the crop and bring it in, you're, you're going to starve. And yet the Bible holds that up as one example of God's discipline. And by the way, parents, let me just give you a hint. We're supposed to model our discipline of our children after the model of God's discipline of his children. So as we read this, this gives us ideas, right? So when you're thinking about, well, and new parents do this, right? What on earth do I do when little Johnny does this or little Sally does this? And, you know, I, I, you know is the default, is it, is it time out? Is it a spanking? Do you take their phone away? What, what do you do? 
Well, well, one of the hints that we get is to study God's discipline, and that gives us ideas for uh, our own children. Number two is reaping the fruit of sin. Uh, we'll see this in a couple of chapters. Proverbs chapter 5, uh, the young man who gets caught up in sexual immorality, and it talks about him being wrapped up in the cords of his affliction. The reaping of the fruit of sin. Uh, he says, um, he says, I was, I was, um, found out in the assembly. Meaning there was a public shame associated with his sin coming to light. Well, guess what? That's a logical consequence of reaping the fruit of sin. Number three, receiving additional work. And again, this is all by way of review. Um, <laughs> When children don't obey, what's a great thing to do as a consequence? You give them more work. You give them more work to do. And that's exactly what, uh, it's interesting, God tells the Israelites in, in Psalm 107, he says this, remember when you disobeyed me? Yeah. Well, guess what I did? I gave you more work to do. I made your labor more difficult. Um, that's one of the ways that God brings correction. And also the rod of men. Uh, we, this would be like, um, you know, if a teenager blows down 377 at 90 miles an hour and one of uh, Hood County or Granbury's finest pulls them over, hands them a speeding ticket, that would be an instance of the rod of men where um, there is some uh, authority that God has established in the life of, in our lives that brings the actual discipline. Uh, the Bible talks about in Second Chronicles there how God used people like the Assyrians and the Babylonians to bring correction and training in the life of His people. Okay? So there's some ideas on how God corrects His people. That's not all the ways, but those are, that's a, a sampling. Uh, so let's think about this now. What do we do as parents? Look back at uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. So as parents, we need to remind our children regularly to expect, to prepare for, and to respond rightly to God's training. That's part of what this is saying, is to expect it and to prepare for it. And, and notice, to respond rightly recognizing that our children do not automatically respond the right way to God's question. Now, now what ha- think with me for a minute. What happens if you do not respond to God's discipline in your life in the right way? What happens? You're probably going to get more. Okay, what else? We don't learn or grow. Okay, what else? It could harden our hearts. Very good. What else? Reap more, more consequences. Do, do you see why this is not a good thing? Uh, in fact, the Bible is going to say uh, to children about parents in, a, in just in a few chapters. Um, uh, let's see. How does it say? Um, the fool always rejects his father's discipline. Right? Uh, but a, but a wise... Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm combining two verses. I hate that when that happens. Okay. A wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Now, that's not the Bible calling you a name. That's the Bible saying when we don't accept our parents' discipline, if we're children, and if we don't accept our heavenly father's discipline, if we're old, we're scoffers. We're fools. 
And I think what Alice said is really important. The longer we do that, the more hardened our hearts become. And in fact, the Bible has a category in the book of Proverbs, and we'll look at this develop. The young person who so rejects the things of God and the things that his parents are trying to teach him, that he hardens his heart beyond remedy. Well, that's not that's not a good place to be, is it? When your heart is so hard, now the word of God has no effect on you anymore. So yes, we, we, we definitely want to be mindful of that. And uh, as parents, our job is to constantly be helping our children to see the value of this. You know, when uh, mom, when, when your son comes home from football practice and he's dirty and he's smelly, and he's got bruises, and he walks in like, you know, he's 16, right? Great shape, and he walks in like this, he kind of hobbles in the door. You know, that's a great moment in the discouragement of that practice to remind that young man, that's going to make him better on game day, isn't it? That's going to make him better prepared for the pain of a normal game. And it's and, and the corrective measure that that coach did that day is going to make him stronger and make him a better player when game day rolls around. And moms, you do that, don't you? That's exactly what you tell your children. And that's what we're supposed to tell our children, spiritually speaking as well, to prepare for that, to think rightly about it. Uh, number two on your notes here, why does God train? Why does he train? Verse 12. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves. Here's, here's the challenge of this text. Okay, I'm just going to say this and, and just, just I, I hope that you will walk away with this thought today. You need to learn to view the afflictions of your life as God's loving, fatherly training. Because he loves you. We need to learn to see the afflictions of our life as loving expressions of our Heavenly Father's training because He loves us. Now that's very important because some of you as Christians think that when something bad happens in your life, God must be upset with you. He must be trying to punish you. He must be angry at you. And I'm here to tell you, as a child of God, his training is an expression of his love for your good and for your growth. And you need to interpret the afflictions, the bad things that happen in your life in the way that we're seeing verse 12 described as expressions of God's fatherly love. Why does he train? Because he loves our children. Because he loves his children. And as parents, again, God is the model now. That's a great reminder for us, too. We don't engage in discipline of our children when we're frustrated, when they're fighting, when those two children are fighting for the 37th time that day. Mom's had enough, enough discipline. That's not why we train. We train because we love. And you see, that also shapes our training, too. We never, ever ever discipline our children in anger because anger is diametrically opposed to love in the corrective moment. When we discipline our children in anger, 
That's a form of abuse in my mind. And God uh, does not ever say that that's okay. It's not okay. When we discipline our children, we do it out of love. We do it in self-control. We do it in measured, wise, carefully calculated ways because it's an expression of our love. When we do it out of frustration, when we do it out of impatience, how about this one, parents? And, and I hate to, I, I'm, I'm convicting myself saying this, we don't discipline it out of inconvenience either. You know, when, when, we're, when we're going okay and they're doing something wrong, well, yeah, whatever, but when it upsets our schedule or it's inconvenient for us and so we, we rattle off some reprimand word because we want to get back to what we're doing and we're not letting love guide that child training moment. So whom the Lord loves, he reproves. We got to remember that's God's motive in this, and it ought to be our motive as parents as well. Number three, parental discipline is modeled after God's discipline. We see that here. For whom the Lord loves, He reproves, even as a father, the son in whom He delights. Now, now that's really interesting. Now, now think think with me on this. This is going to, I hope, not totally confuse you. We understand that God himself, and particularly the Lord Jesus, is the model and example for everything that we do. Would you agree with that? He, he is the preeminent example of everything in life, how we talk, how we act, how we think, how we interact with people, everything. Okay. So God is the model we follow. But notice here, the pattern is turned around. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines... What does it say? Even as a father in, who, in the son in whom he delights. So, so watch this. As this parent is sitting down with his children and explaining God's discipline, he says, son, what God does to us in discipline is the same thing your mom and I do with you. So it turns the, the, the example around. Now, now that's really, 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 really convicting if you think about it. Because what Psalm is helping us to see is that all along, listen, all along, we as parents should be modeling for our children the type of discipline that God practices toward His children. Do you see that? When our children are little, they learn who God is from our example. You see that? That's really, 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 really a tall order, isn't it? And it's very convicting because long before children can read the Bible for themselves, long before they can understand spiritual truth, they learn things, you ready? From me and from you in terms of how we relate to them as parents. And that's what Solomon is... is This is a verse for children, but it's a verse that has huge implications for those of us that are parents or grandparents or or we're coming alongside and helping other parents in some way. How we treat our children should be illustrative of how they will come to understand God treats them as children one day, should they become a part of his family by grace through faith. Okay. So again, this, this is a great moment, parents, to just huddle up and say, how are we doing? How are we doing? Are, are we exemplifying the type of love and care and correction and discipline and training? Are, are we doing a good job? And, and you understand that there's one level. We, we will never meet the mark 
of our perfect Heavenly Father. We understand that. There are no perfect parents. We understand that. The question is, are we aiming for that model? Are, are, we, are we growing as a pattern of discipline to reflect who God is? Are, are, we, are we demonstrating a true example of how God would treat his children? Or is the model that we're revealing to our children, is it teaching our children things that are blasphemous about how God would train his own children? And that's, that's very, very convicting. Um, but notice Solomon, he's holding up parental discipline as a model, as an example for how the Lord disciplines here for his children. And, and notice this, I love this, verse 12. Even as a father, the son in whom he delights. Do you discipline your children because you delight in them and you want them to be all that God wants them to be? And know that God disciplines his children not out of frustration, but because he delights in seeing his children grow into the image of Christ. And that's hard, isn't it? If you're a new parent and you're thinking, maybe I came from a home where godly discipline was not modeled and all you knew was abuse. That's hard to learn biblical discipline as a new parent, isn't it? Because you're, you're afraid that what I might do that the Bible tells me to do gets too close to that abuse that I experienced as a child. Or, or maybe you grew up in a home where it was dismissive, right? There was no discipline at all. The children ran the home. And, and you're trying to get this thing under control in your own home. We do it as we come to know God and as we learn to truly delight in our children. Now, we know that this verse here, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, is picked up in that great chapter in the New Testament that talks about God's discipline, which is Hebrews chapter 12. So I want to spend a few minutes there uh, talking with you about this uh, so we can, it gives us a lot more uh, reflection on this. So, so hold your place in Proverbs. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 12 and uh, let's look at how the writer to Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews uses this uh, verse that we see here in Proverbs. Um, it was, it was just a few months ago, but it seems like forever ago that we studied Hebrews together right here in, in this room. Um, so this will sound hopefully familiar. I want to try to come back to that question. What, what purposes does God have in training? Hebrews chapter 12, this, um, this chapter is really about endurance. It's about perseverance and and uh, that's why uh, chapter 12, verse 1 says, In light of the great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every encumbrance, every sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is a, ver- a chapter about endurance. And if you'll remember, the audience, the, the, the people receiving the letter of Hebrews, were people that were under persecution, and they had need of endurance. How do we do that? Verse 2, fixing our eye on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, Jesus, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Now here's where the writer begins to introduce what we read in Hebrews, or in Proverbs, excuse me. Verse 4, for you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Verse 5, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. Now this should sound very familiar. 
My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. There's a little bit of variation in there, uh, reflecting uh, some of the... um, changes in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, but it's, it's essentially saying the same thing as what we read in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Okay. Now notice verse 7. It is for discipline that you endure. Okay. Now, now look up for a second. I want to connect this verse to the context here. Okay. What he's saying is we need endurance. In the Christian life, we need to learn the ability to keep on going, though there is... Uh, resistance against that endurance. We we need to learn endurance to continue to walk in faith. Now, how is God going to produce endurance in your life and in mine? Okay, we'll look back at verse 5, or excuse me, verse 7 and read it again. It is for discipline that you endure. Now, remember, discipline doesn't always mean God's punishing me. Now, sometimes it does mean that. But remember, we've defined the word discipline uh, more broadly as it is intended to be understood in the book of Proverbs as what? what? What is discipline? It's training. It is for training that you endure. And this, and this is the, the real interesting part of this. We need endurance and we need the training that produces godliness and both of those things work together to produce maturity in the life of the believer look at verse 7 god deals with you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline but if you are without discipline of which all have become partakers then you are illegitimate children and not sons verse 9 furthermore we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, here it is, that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You can take that one to the bank, can't you? Because no one in the middle of affliction says, oh, this is wonderful. Which is why we predict that our children, when we, when we discipline our children, we don't expect them to respond. You know, all flowery and appreciative, you know, in the moment. Because it's sorrowful, it's not joyful. You say, so so what's the point in parenting? The point in parenting is to help our children to see, but afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. This is good for you. You know, when you're doing 50 more push-ups or 75 more push-ups or whatever, in the moment you're thinking, this is this is sorrowful, not joyful. But when it makes you stronger so you can throw that ball further, or you can hit that opponent harder, then you see the peaceful fruit of righteousness produced afterward because of the training. And that's what that's what he's trying to help us to see. We need to reinterpret affliction as God's wise, fatherly training for our good and for our growth and for our benefit. 
Let's just uh, footnote or, or bullet point some of these things that we've seen here. This is a great passage. What purposes does God have in training? First of all, to demonstrate our sonship. To demonstrate our sonship. Look back at verse 7. He says, For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? For if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Be thankful for the affliction that God brings into your life because it demonstrates that you really belong to him. There's a proverb that's going to say later on in our study, we'll see this. Um, he who hates or he who spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him does what? Disciplines him diligently. So, so here's what I'm thinking. There are a whole bunch of people out in the world getting away with all sorts of wickedness. And do you you remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 73? Their life is so easy. Their bodies are full of fat, which is a good thing in that culture. Um, They're getting away with wickedness, and yet the godly are the ones suffering. What's the deal, God? Asaph asks in Psalm 73. And yet this verse tells us the fact that people are getting away with wickedness is the worst possible outcome that could happen in your life. Because you know what that means? They don't belong to the family of God. They don't have a loving heavenly father who is disciplining them for their good. And yet for us who are trying to walk in righteousness, trying to walk in the, with the things of the Lord, and things are going bad in our life, and ongoing affliction, things don't go right, and I have this problem and that problem, this health issue, this job issue, whatever it is, and we're like, you don't love me, what's going on? And yet the Bible says just the opposite. Those are expressions of God's fatherly training, which means, what? We must be his children. And if you're his child, there is nothing else in the world that matters. There is nothing else in the world that could be better than that. So we see that God's training, God's discipline is actually a demonstration of our sonship. And conversely, um, if you're one of those people that thinks you're a Christian, you say you're a Christian, and your life basically says the opposite, that you're not a Christian, that's, not, that's a dangerous place to be. A very, very dangerous place to be. Because it says here, if you're without discipline, then you're illegitimate. You don't really belong to the family. So it, so, so guys, follow me on it. This, this, this is like the most radical thing you'll probably hear this week. We should expect that Christians experience more affliction than people that are not Christians. Because God is training and disciplining and correcting those whom He loves and who belong to His family. And that's a really, really, really good thing. It's an expression of his love. It's an expression that we belong to his family. Number two, why does God, what purposes does God have in training? To share in his holiness. This is not some, some, you know, um, thing that God does just because he enjoys it. No, this is something that's purposeful. Verse 10, they disciplined us, talking about human parents, for a short time as seemed best to them. But God trains you for your good. Why? Why? Because he wants, and I love the language here, he wants you 
and me to share in his very holiness. Isn't that amazing? There's something God wants to share with you, and it's his holiness. He wants you to be like him. You say, well, how's that going to work? How's he going to do it? Well, we learned part of the secret here. He's going to train you. Well, how does that training work? It's going to hurt. It's going to be hard sometimes. But it has a good goal in mind. And again, you know, when Tom Brady was on the stand a few weeks ago holding up the trophy, he wasn't complaining to Bill Belichick about how hard the practices were leading up to the Super Bowl, saying, well, we really think he was out of line and and how hard he was running us. No, he's not thinking that at all. He's thinking, we just won the Super Bowl. And that's the only thing in the world that matters. And God says to his children, you know, the only thing that matters is that you reflect the perfect likeness of my son. And I will train you, I will correct you, I will teach you, I will afflict you until you perfectly reflect the image of my son. Guys, that's that's an amazing, amazing gift that he would do that. And in the moment of correction, we need to remember that. It's not purposeless. It not only is purposeful, it, it has the most wonderful benefit you could ever possibly want. And that is to share in the very holiness of God. There's a third purpose, to train us. Remember, this is, this context, the context of this verse is about endurance. It's about, it's about continuing in the faith. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who are being trained by it, there it is, it's training. And like any other training in life, it involves investment, it involves sweat, it involves toil, it involves tears, it involves affliction. Why do we expect Christianity to be easy when everything else in life you have to work hard to achieve? Why do we think it's different? Well, it, because it's grace, and grace is a gift. Well, that's true. It is grace. It, it, God, God gives us grace that enables us to do that. But remember the metaphors? The Bible says the Christian life is like this. Sitting on a couch, going on a cruise, lounging at the beach, Have you read those metaphors in the Bible about the Christian life being like that? Me neither, because they're not there. Okay, The the Bible says the Christian life is like a, a race where you're reaching down to the deepest recesses of your body to pull out a few more jewels of energy to finish the race. It's like a boxing match where you have to keep your guard up so that you don't get knocked out. You have to know the opponent. It's like farming where you go out and you work the ground and then you put the seed down and then you water the seed and you cultivate it and then you harvest. And there, There's no relaxation involved in that at all. A race, a boxing match, uh, a farming. Um, what's, what, what's, what's some other ones? Um, uh, uh, just sports in general. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. I, stri- I run in such a way that I may... You guys know these, these verses, don't you? So A soldier. That, yeah, that was the one I was thinking of too. Yeah, a soldier. You, and you know what that is, right? How do soldiers prepare? They sit at home and watch TV all day, right? No, they go to physical training and they drill and they go to camp and, and they do all these things designed to make them resilient and strong. So that in the moment of battle, they will perform and not die. So that's, it's, it's a training operation. 
And, and notice, I, I love how this verse ends. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Can, can I just can I just tell you that 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 really helps? Because in the moment of affliction, it is a a, a caricature of the Christianity that says, "Oh, this is so wonderful." You know, can I do ten more laps? Right. Um. The Bible recognizes that in the moment of discipline, in the moment of affliction, that is a sorrowful moment. It's not joyful. You're, you're not supposed to feel wonderful on your 74th of 75 push-ups that you're doing. It's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to be sorrowful. But what does it produce? What causes you to endure through that? What does it say? Those who have been trained by it. Now notice that. Just because God brings affliction to your life doesn't automatically mean you grow. Did you see that? Just because God brings affliction into your life does not automatically mean you grow. Because we can do this. I hate this. I don't want this. Enough now. Remember Paul and his his, uh, thorn in the flesh? Three times. God, take it away. This is too much. And God said no. So we can reject the discipline of the Lord. We can reject what God is trying to do. Listen very closely. You can be a part of the work that God wants to do in your life, or you can fight it. You can reject it. You can hold him at arm's distance and say, no, 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 no. I don't care what you say. This is not good for me. And like my son, who on one occasion in the pediatrician's office, we had to hold him down for that needle to go in. We, we can react like that. We can say there is no way in the world this is good for me. But that, according to Proverbs, is being a foolish son, being a scoffer, not a wise son. So if we will, listen very closely, if we will allow the affliction of our life that God brings in to train us and to conform us and to correct us. What does it say? Look back at verse 11. Afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Can I ask you a question? Do you want to be righteous? Do, Do you want to be more holy in your practice? More like Jesus in your daily life. We understand in Christ we already have a perfect positional righteousness and holiness. We understand that. We're not doing this to try to earn any of God's favor. We are perfectly righteous in Christ because of his finished work. We understand that. What I'm asking is, do you want to grow in your daily life so that your practice more and more looks like your position? And if you do, if you're frustrated with indwelling sin. And when you say, I don't want to continue to be the same person I am. I want to grow to be more like my Savior. Then guess what God's going to do? He's going to bring some affliction. He's going to bring some trial. He's going to make your life hard so that it trains us into godliness and righteousness and holiness. And guys, that is a really, really wonderful blessing. Okay, so how do we summarize this? As believers, listen very closely. God's discipline does not reflect his condemnation, 
but his love. Please hear that. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is not condemning you if you're a Christian. He is not condemning you by bringing these things into your life. He's loving you. He's loving you more into his image. Okay? He disciplines to correct and sanctify, not to judge and condemn. And I just think some of you need to hear that today. You need to hear that the things that God is doing in your life are not God punishing you, not him condemning you, not him judging you. It's his wise, fatherly, loving hand to correct you and to train you. Now, this goes back to my original question. How do you know that God's disciplining you? How how would you know that? Listen very closely. Every negative experience in life should not be interpreted as God's punitive discipline. But, listen very closely, every experience in life should be viewed as God's fatherly training which aims at our holiness. Right? What does Romans 8.28 say? And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You know this. And to those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Why? So that we would be what? Firstborn among many brethren, right? So don't interpret every bad thing in your life as God's punitive correction. But we do need to interpret everything in our life as God's wise, fatherly training for our good, for our holiness, for our sanctification, and for his glory. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you that you love us enough to correct us. Um, That's not easy to accept in the moment when we're hurting or suffering. That's not easy to accept in the moment that things just don't ever seem to go our way or there's something chronic that continues on, a a difficult relationship, an illness, um, a bottom line in our finances, whatever it is. Lord, will you give us the faith this morning to trust you and accept what we've read today that the bad things in our life are expressions of your love and your fatherly care because you want us to be holy and righteous like your son. Father, will we learn to interpret our life, interpret especially the negative events of our life as tokens and illustrations of your wise fatherly care in those moments. And we are so thankful that you do love us enough and you will not relent. You will not, you will not stop in your training until we look just like the Lord Jesus. Father, we reaffirm we want to look like our Savior. Will you do that and will you have your way in our life? Make us receptive. Make us to be a part of those things that you want to do. In Christ's name, amen.